0: Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, if you'll take your Bible and find Ephesians chapter 1, we're working slowly through this very in-depth sentence. This is the longest sentence in the New Testament. It goes from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 to verse 14. One of the reasons that uh, we as a church were looking for a person like David was to help us with some of our organization and communication, which he's uh, been doing a great job at. Uh, This is just one of the the ways that we're trying to better communicate with people, better communicate with you uh, to get the word out about what we're doing. Our church does a lot of great things and we wanna try to invite you and involve you in more of that and uh, David's taking the lead on that. So thank you, brother. Ephesians chapter one, Uh, We're just looking at two verses this morning, verse 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. This week I was reading about a wealthy landowner. It was a landowner in England, and it was one of these types who had the the huge estate with all the property and the amazing manor house and all of the servants and all that went into running an estate in the 1800s. And the landowner's wife died giving birth so he was left to raise his son by himself which he took up on that responsibility and raised the boy and loved the boy and taught him and helped him and encouraged him then tragically at the age of 12 uh, the boy died and then just a few months later the landowner died and he was left without any heirs he had no other family so the the government decided that his massive estate was to be auctioned off, which is what they did. And so at the auction, uh, essentially a who's who shows up to bid on his amazing antiques and goods and then ultimately his property. And so they, they, they do the auction, and then the very last item to be auctioned off is a, was a portrait of his son. It was an oil painting of his son that used to hang in one of the rooms in a prominent place. And they begin the auction and, and no one bids on the portrait of his son. And it's going once, going twice, and no takers. And after the auction, they had another way that you could essentially pay for items that you wanted if they didn't sell. And the boy's nanny, who had helped take care of him in the, when, when his mother had died, came up and said that she wanted the portrait, how could she get it? And they gave it to her. And then amazingly, into the shock of many, in the following weeks, at the reading of the man's will, he made clear that the person who took the portrait of the son was to inherit his entire estate. That was his instructions. And you see, what happened was, This nanny now inherited the entire estate because she had taken his son. And the father wanted it to be a picture of the one who would love my son enough to take this portrait can inherit all that I own. Friends, that's how we receive the inheritance of God the Father. It's through his son. It's the only way. It's through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing, isn't it? When, when we hear stories like that, or I don't know if you ever watch those uh, Jane Austen classics. Maybe some of you get those experiences. Uh, you, these, these big houses are full of the servants. I mean, typically we identify with the servants, right? Most of us are working people. We're not identifying with the owner of that place. And it, it's amazing, isn't it, that through Jesus Christ, those who are servants receive the Father's inheritance. That's what this text begins by telling us. what Ephesians 1, that what this sentence is about, it's about spiritual blessings we have in Jesus Christ. If you go back to Ephesians chapter one and verse three, it says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." That's a call to worship. It's very similar to Psalm 113:1 1 that we read earlier that starts with "Praise the Lord." This is a call to bless God, to praise God, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And, and there's a litany of blessings in this passage, a litany of spiritual realities that are ours, and it's in Christ. And, and that forms kind of one of the, the sub-themes of this passage is, in him, in Christ, you have this. In Christ, you have this. In Christ, you have this. That, that Paul the Apostle is just unloading to this church and to us, to Christians. Here's what you have in Christ. These amazing spiritual blessings. And that's, that's how the, the passage is framed. It's in him. And so verse 11 is one of these in him statements. Notice it's in him. It begins with the Son. As a follower of the Lord Jesus, as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is is part of the spiritual blessings that you have. Notice what it says. We have received an inheritance. So recognizing that this is a call to praise, first of all, we should praise God for his inheritance. We should praise God for his inheritance. Look there in your Bible. We have obtained an inheritance. Notice, almost all of these realities in this sentence are in the past tense. It's about what we have. It's about what God has done. We've obtained an inheritance. It's a word that only appears here in the New Testament. In, in the original language, that's just one word. And it only appears here. And it has the connotation of being chosen. That's why if you have the NIV, that's how they translate it. They just translate it as chosen. But it has a deeper connotation than that. And that's why the ESV translates it obtained, again past tense, and inheritance. The idea is to be chosen for an inheritance. The word has a rich background in the Old Testament, and I think that's what Paul is drawing on here, and I think that's what the point of this is. This is the word that is used in the Old Testament to describe the appointing out of the promised land to God's people. Remember, they came into the promised land, and God is the one who decided, God is the one who chose, you'll get this land, you'll get this land, you'll get this land. He's giving them the land. That's the idea here, God giving us, God has given us an inheritance. And I think the the point of this is, remember who he's writing to here. He's writing to, to Christians in Ephesus, which is a dark, pagan, Greek city. In fact, if you read the background of this in Acts 19 you'll see that many of these people in their background, many of the people that made up the church at Ephesus, or at least some of them, were involved in witchcraft and divination. That was part of the way they made their income. They have a very dark past. And more than that, they are steeped in Greek thought and Greek philosophy. That's how they think. That's how they've lived. And what Paul the Apostle here is doing is, he is saying everything that God's people in the Old Testament had is yours in Christ. Just like the giving of the promised land in the Old Testament was given to them as an inheritance, you have obtained an inheritance in Christ. It's good news. It's in Christ. Look also in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. In chapter 1 and verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This idea that you as a believer in Jesus Christ have received an inheritance from God is a big theme in the rest of chapter 1. It's also a theme in the rest of the New Testament. This is one of the ways the Bible, the New Testament, describes essentially one of the great benefits you receive from salvation, it's an inheritance from God. It's rewards from God laid up for you in heaven. You have an inheritance from him that you are looking forward to. Now, at least in my life, I know in the past, um, when I've witnessed someone receive an inheritance or hear about it, I'm, I tend, I've tended to be a little bit jealous or maybe even envious of that. Uh, for instance, my high school or I'm sorry my college history professor so I chose this professor for every class he taught because he was Scottish All Right, get to listen to the Scottish accent that's a bonus in history my family has Scottish descent so I just naturally gravitated to this guy and I had to take some of his classes and in the midst of one of the years when I had him for a professor I had him for like five different classes in the midst of one of those classes he was dealing with the fact that the oldest member of his family in Scotland had died and now he is one of the heirs to the castle one of the heirs to the castle wow and he's talking about it in class and he's dealing with it and I was quite jealous of that still a little in in fact you could go to the castle's website today I'll tell you I don't want to mention the name but if you ask me afterwards, you can check it out. It has a lake. They have seals you can go see. It's in Scotland. <laughs> um, and I was envious to say the least. But in retrospect, and especially this week, being you know, reminded, thinking about that story and, and that occasion, one of the things about that guy, he was not a believer. In fact, he rejected the gospel. In fact, this professor more than rejected the gospel, he scoffed at the gospel. He scoffed at Jesus Christ. And so while I was as as a student, and still maybe a little bit as an adult, jealous of the inheritance he got, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the inheritance we have because of him is far greater than anything in this world. Far better than anything this world can offer. And you you know how certain it is As a believer in Jesus Christ that you have this, look at the next words. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So not only should you praise God for his inheritance, you should praise God for his invincible purposes. His purposes are invincible The point of Paul the Apostle saying this to Christians is so that you can know this inheritance is sure, it is certain, it is secure. Because you've been predestined by God. The word very clearly and simply means determined beforehand by God to receive this. It is is not in doubt, and that's the point. This inheritance is not in danger. This inheritance is not threatened. Why? Because of God. And notice specifically according to the purpose of him. This is, this is God's purpose. This is God's purpose. And, and the purpose of God is a, another one of those themes that, that weaves its way through these verses, that God has good purposes for us. And that's what we're trying to be reminded of in this passage. Now look at, some of what, look at what this says. One of the strongest, clearest statements about the sovereignty of God in all of the Bible, right here, The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice his purpose. And this is all about your inheritance. Why does it say this about God? So you can know that you have this inheritance. You have this spiritual blessing. It's it's based on his invincible purposes. The purpose of him who works all things. Now look at that. Works all things. Not, Not only are there his purposes, but it's his powerful engagement. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has a plan, the counsel of his will. He is bringing it about, and he's working all things to fit into that. It's an amazing statement about God and his involvement in the world and why your inheritance is sure. Sure. This this I think indicates several things. It shows you that there's nothing random about the unfolding purposes of God. Well, God just hopes this will happen. That's not the way God works. There's nothing random. In fact, there's really nothing random at all. It's purposed. Even the most seemingly insignificant things are purposed by God. This is why Ephesians or I'm sorry, Proverbs 16:33 says, "The lot is cast into the lap," But it's every decision is from the Lord. The most seemingly insignificant thing of tossing a lot. I have no idea what choice to make. In the old. This is one of the ways they made decisions in the ancient world. Whenever they were, essentially were at the end of their wits, had no other way to make this decision. We've got essentially two qualified people for this position. They're equally qualified. How do we choose? Cast a lot. So every decision is from the Lord. The scripture says all things are his servants. Even the most insignificant things. The scripture says that not a sparrow falls apart from our father. God feeds lions. He's involved in all. He works all things. His powerful engagement. Look at how Isaiah says it in Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. And notice how this this is going to be tied like Ephesians 1... God's working our salvation Isaiah 46 8 to 13 remember this and stand firm recall it to mind you transgressors he's talking by the way to Israel there remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me okay well how is there none like you here's how verse 10 declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand And I will accomplish all my purpose. Notice that certainty there. God has counsel, he has purpose, he has plan. It will be accomplished. No wondering, you know, what's going to happen to my people? I mean, my goodness, are they going to make it or not? God doesn't reason or think that way. Verse 11. Now look at the example of God accomplishing all his purpose in verse 11. And this is just astounding. Verse 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east. This is an example of God accomplishing his purpose? Exactly. How insignificant is that? A bird flying from the east. Okay. Purpose of God. Another example. The man of my counsel from a far country. Wise man shows up. Why? One reason, God's purpose. I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will do it. Now, now here he's going to tie it to salvation. This, this fact that God is working all things. He declares the end from the beginning. He's purposed. He's going to accomplish it. Now he's speaking to his rebellious people, Israel, in the Old Testament. And now he's going to say, I'm going to bring about salvation. Look at it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Salvation in Zion is salvation. Zion is like Jerusalem. Jesus is salvation in Zion. God brings that about. And there, there are some people, in fact, many people who think that God is just involved in some things, maybe the big things. The scripture says God causes the grass to grow. Involved working all things according to the counsel of his will. Now see, the way we live, the way we have to live, circumstances happen and we respond to them, right? Car breaks down, deal with it. It's not fun. This issue comes up, got to deal with it. What, what happens in our life and to us is circumstances happen, things happen, then we just have to deal with it based on the circumstance. don't transpose that experience to God because it's not that way for God. It is that way for us. In fact, furthermore, we have plans and purposes, don't we? Yeah. We make plans. We have purposes. There's things we want to accomplish, things we want to do. We make plans to bring them about. God gives us that ability. We can do that. But what happens in our plans and our purposes? Well, one thing, oftentimes we don't have the power or ability to carry them out. It's never the case for God. God never lacks in power or ability. Or what happens with our plans and purposes, I mean, have you heard of Murphy's Law? I'm assuming this is not just something for people who grow up in West Virginia. You are familiar with Murphy, this so-called law that if something bad can happen, it will. It's just the world we live in. I had a friend that I grew up with, and he told me one time, you know, Murphy has moved into my house. It's just seemingly the norm of life. It's not that way for God, though. It's not that way for God. God's not in the heavens just responding, oh, what can I do about that? God is working all things according to the counsel of his will, much of which we don't know or understand. And we also live in this world corrupted by evil, and we understand and recognize there are evil plans brought about and purposed by people in the world. Look at what Genesis 50 says about the evil of Joseph's brothers. This is where Joseph's brothers plot to, well, first they're going to kill him because they hate him. And then they say, oh no, let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave. Let's make some coin off this jerk. So they sell him and right by chance he just ends up in Egypt. No. Genesis 50, 19 and 20. This is after they've all gone through lots of interactions, Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God, which tells you something about the way Joseph views his circumstances, and the exercise of his authority in this case. As for you, you meant evil against me. That's the brothers. What you did, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To bring bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now in that passage there are two meanings and two purposes. The purpose, the meaning, the desire and intent and purpose of the evil brothers, and then there's also the meaning, the desire, the intent, the purpose, the counsel of God. And you see which works itself out. The the evil brothers carry out their purposes, but here's the power of God. Even in the midst of evil purposes, God turns them and works them for good. This is amazing about the way God interacts with the world and is engaged in the world. Now, Joseph, if you read the account, Joseph doesn't know what the result is going to be. Joseph, I don't think, understood all that what God was doing when it was initially happening to him. He just simply lived faithfully most of the time through all that. But God's power and purposes are so sure and certain, he turns even evil things for good. Well, that still means there's bad things and evil things, though. Another passage that relates to this is Acts chapter 4. Spending a lot of time on this because I think it's so important for us to understand, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Look at Acts 4. This one's really interesting because it practically applies to the church. How should we practically engage with the fact that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will, even evil things? What should that cause us to do? Look at Acts 4. Here's a prayer. It begins as a, it's a prayer. When they heard it, they lifted their voices to God and said, You want to know what a prayer in the early church sounded like? Here's one. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the holy spirit why did the gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the lord and against his anointed so look at what's happening here that's psalm chapter 2 essentially just being fulfilled in jesus that that the rulers of the world and the people had come against god and against jesus verse 27 Here's how it specifically happened in history. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, people of Israel all bring about an evil act. In fact, I believe the most evil act ever propagated in the history of humanity. And they do it, and they purposed it, and they planned it. And they carried it out, and they're guilty for it. Verse 28. What are all those evil people coming together to do? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now look at the next verse. So there is, in Acts, the, the, the coming about in church history of God working all things according to the counsel of his will. But what do you do about that as a church? Well, look at what they did. And now, Lord, they still pray. This idea doesn't mean that, well, we just don't pray. God's going to do what he's going to do. No, that's wrong thinking. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. It's a prayer for boldness based on this fact. Give us boldness, Lord, to speak your word. God is engaged. We're called to engage. In fact, you see... You see the word purpose, and you see the words counsel of his will. These words are also found in Romans 8.28, a passage that many of you know that's just been a great encouragement to us Christians throughout the generations, Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. There's this idea, again, of God working all things. This text adds another element to this fact but God works them all for good. This is why the invincible purposes of God, his invincible, indomitable providence, is so encouraging and should be encouraging to Christians. Because it means that whatever you face, you may not understand why or how you're going to make it or what it means, you do know God has good purposes and intents behind it. He works all things together for good to those who are called. According to his purposes. This is why we sing that hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I think we're singing it tonight. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And oftentimes, you won't know and can't know in this life The why questions. Or or there's going to be some events you're not going to know how it's going to work out for good. But you do know that it will. Because God works all things according to the counsel of his will. In fact, I think there are things that happen in our life that won't work for good until the next generation after we're dead and gone. And you can trust God and know that he's working all things for good. So that's why you trust him. Just one more example just because I can't resist. It's just so prominent in, in the scripture. Philippians chapter 1, Paul's in jail. I mean, my goodness, you look. here's the apostle Paul, the, the, the missionary in jail. Wow, this is bad for the gospel, right? From a human standpoint, it looks like, man, this is, this is not good. Philippians 1.12, which the Awana kids memorize. I, can't, I don't have it memorized, so I can't quote it. But he says in that verse, these things that have happened to me have served to what? One of you kids want to say it? Philippians 112. Advance the gospel. Advance the gospel. Wouldn't Paul be out being out on the street traveling around do better to advance the gospel? Not in God's plan. How do you, how do you witness to Caesar's household? Or Caesar if you're out on the street? Probably not going to get access to him that way. Got to use a different channel. Oh, how about the prison system and the Roman legal system that allows a Roman citizen to appeal directly to Caesar? There's a way to get the gospel to Caesar. Amazing. To advance the gospel. Being in jail. Your inheritance is secure. Here's why. Everything according to the counsel of his will. Now that's perplexing, isn't it? Well, friends... It shouldn't just leave you perplexed. You know what it should cause you to do? Praise him. Remember, that's what this passage is about. Sure, it's perplexing. There's none of us like that, or that can fully understand that, or wrap our arms around how God can work all things for good, for us, his people. We can, how do you comprehend a being whose purposes are invincible when our purposes are fraught with peril? And regular to fail. God is not that way. You should praise him for his glory. This is one of the this is one of the frustrating things about predestination. One of the frustrating things is the way people treat the doctrine is they like to argue about it and dissect it intellectually. When the doctrine biblically calls for praise, in light of the fact that you'll never fully understand or comprehend all that God is doing or why He's doing it. Let's just look at the passage. Look at what it says in the next verse. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That's God's design and purpose in giving you an inheritance. He's working all things. He's predestining you so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Paul's probably there referring to the early Christians who first believed. And then he's going to say, you Christians in Ephesus also received the same thing same benefits for every believer doesn't matter if you're the Apostle Paul doesn't matter if you're a Christian former witch in Ephesus if you have Christ if you come to God in Christ this is yours and notice the 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 termination of it and the point of it is in verse 12 to the praise of his glory it's also in verse 4 to the praise of his glorious grace it's the way this section ends look at the end of verse 14 to the praise of his glory Do you recognize a pattern? God wants praise for this, for his blessings. God gives you blessings in Christ. It should result in praise to Christ. That's one of the reasons why we meet together as a church. God wants his people together praising him. Praise is a response to what God has done. It's a verbal expression of the greatness of God. Notice it. It's the praise of his Glory. Glory is His weight. That's what the Old Testament word literally means. Weight. That God is the weightiest being there is. He is the most majestic being. In the scripture you see His glory come through in His light. That God dwells in an unapproachable light. No man can see God and live. This is the power and weight and greatness of His glory. The purpose is for us to praise His glory. And that's how we respond to displays of power. This sentence, this previous sentence, works all things according to the counsel of his will. What a display of power that should cause you to praise his glory. This week, one of, the, one of the cool things about YouTube is there's declassified military videos on YouTube. That's raining out there. That's, it's good when it's raining during a sermon. You don't want to go out there anyway. This week, America is a great place. Amen. Praise God. Watching on YouTube the declassified videos of the A-10 tank killer. Just wow. What that thing can do. Unbelievable. Astounding. Or, or coming up here pretty soon. Um, some of us college football fans. Right? There's going to be linebackers. These guys, their arms are... It's massive, their bodies are just chiseled, they've, they've given energy and months and years to, to become as fast and strong as they could, and there are gonna be hits. And what are people, whenever there's a, a, a quarterback sack or there's this massive hit on the running back, what are people in the stadium gonna do? <sighs> what are you gonna do in front of your TV? Well, maybe nothing, but People respond to displays of power. They also just respond in a certain way to displays of majesty. People who go to England like to see the crown jewels. And they go in and they, 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 they're standing in front of these glass cases with this ridiculously expensive, priceless jewelry, and they're like, "Ha, oh, wow, look at that one. They respond to acts of skill. You, you, look, you see Rembrandt's Night Watch or some amazing piece the uh, Sistine Chapel ceiling. Whoa <laughs> whoa. How do you respond to good deeds? You see a video of a fireman rescuing a drowning child. What do you say? "Wow, that guy's awesome. That is amazing what that guy did. I wish I could be that guy. You praise great things. It's part of the way we're made. You rejoice in great things. And friends, what God has done is infinitely greater than any of that. As important and significant as rescuing a drowning child is, God has saved your eternal soul in Christ. Praise him. He's great. That's the point of this passage. And you you think in terms of our daily life, am I going to live for myself or am I going to live for God? In light of this reality, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. I've obtained an inheritance in him. Man, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you see how living for yourself seems so small compared to this sentence? That's why you should live for him. The way you live for him is coming to him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when Jesus is on earth, his invitation to people is to come. To come. This God who does these amazing things invites people to come. He calls people. This morning, what you see the apostles do, what I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to call you to repent. You should turn from your sin, which will ultimately condemn you before God and hurt you in this life. You should trust Jesus. You depend on Jesus to bring you to God. Are you doing that? Are you, like the hymn says, trusting Him every hour? Are you trusting Jesus? And and you see what is true in this passage for those who are in him? Don't you want to be in him? Forget these pathetic human, earthly, worldly inheritances. Even a castle in Scotland, forget that. This is an eternal inheritance guaranteed by God's invincible purposes in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Just pray it would come with power, that we'd be compelled now to praise your name for your worthy. That would be our response, God, to your greatness. Lord, that we would recognize the value of our inheritance, and we would stand in awe of that. And God, as we're perplexed in many ways by your greatness and the way you work, help us to praise you for your worthy. God, and I pray that many would stand in awe and see the glory of Jesus and turn to him and turn again away from the vanities of this world which are passing away. This world is passing away. This world and the things of this world are passing away and people would turn to Jesus Christ and trust him and they could walk away knowing because of your invincible purposes. Through him, they've obtained an inheritance. So I pray this would hit people as good news. And we who have received it would rejoice and praise you because of the good news. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.